Hello and welcome to the Flying Frisbee podcast with me, Dominic Frisbee. As always, you can read today's piece, you can listen to today's piece, or you can read and listen at the same time. And today's piece is called Where Do Thoughts Go? It is your Sunday morning thought piece. It has the subtitle Beyond the Mind, the Unknown Destiny of Billions of Feelings, Fears, Memories, Dreams and Ideas. I remember saying this to my eldest daughter shortly after my father died. Where do thoughts go? What happens to them? My father was a writer, so many of the thoughts he had he wrote down and preserved in some way. But what happened to all the ones he didn't record? Is that it? They're just gone? Studies suggest a typical person has 7,000 thoughts a day. Others put that number ten times higher, at seventy to 80,000. That seems a lot to me. Some people, from what I can see, don't even reach double figures. But 80,000 thoughts per day would work out at close to one thought per second. It depends how you define what a thought is, I guess. Many thoughts are repetitive. We have the same thought over and over, because often we forget we've had it. But whether 7,000 or 70,000, we have a lot of thoughts. So, of those many thoughts you have each day, how many do you actually recognise or acknowledge? A tiny percentage. Of those thoughts you do recognise, how many do you then articulate or speak aloud in some way? Again, a tiny percentage. We're at a tiny percentage of a tiny percentage. Of those thoughts that you articulate, how many do you actually record, perhaps write down? And of those you record, how many do you act on and turn into something, an even tinier percentage? So of all the thoughts we have, a tiny percentage of a tiny percentage of a tiny percentage get recorded and an even tinier percentage actually become something. Now let's extrapolate that over a life. A typical lifespan is 27,000 days. That makes 189 million or 1.89 billion thoughts over the course of your life, depending on whether you're a 7,000 or 70,000 per day person. Now let's extrapolate that across human history, all the thoughts that every human being has ever had. 117 billion lives have been lived, Google tells me, 117 billion multiplied by 189 million or 1.89 billion is a lot of thoughts. What happened to them all? Where did they go? Where are they now? Is there some ethereal warehouse up the street where they're all stored? If those thoughts are now gone, unrecorded, unacted upon, what then was the point of having them? Recording my thoughts has always been something that's obsessed me, rather. Even as a child, I used to keep a diary and try to record as many of the things that I thought, the interesting ones at least, as possible, especially as I worried I might never have that thought again. I've got piles of notebooks, not to mention the notes and voice files in my phone and on my computer, but I never go back through them and I doubt anyone else ever will, so I may as well not have bothered. Those thoughts are going to disappear even though I wrote them down and attempted to preserve them. What was the point of having them? 
So let's park that thought for a moment while I ask you a question. Why Christianity and Judaism succeeded where other religions failed. Of the plethora of religions that existed around the Middle East three or four thousand years ago, why did Judaism survive but none of the others? Is it because the Jews are God's chosen people, as my Jewish friends constantly like to remind me every time I bring this question up? Or is it because the Jews wrote theirs down? Other religions were passed on orally. Even better, the Jews inscribed their Ten Commandments in stone. Why did Christianity supersede all the pagan religions of Northern Europe during the Dark Ages? The Northmen were the superior force militarily. Surely their pagan religions should have conquered too. With the likes of Odin, Thor and Loki, or the Druidic religions of the Celts, many of those pagan religions were much cooler than Christianity. Why did Christianity conquer? Because the Bible was written down. Pagan religions and traditions were passed on orally. It's a much less reliable way of transferring thought. So you can see, then, both the power of preserving thought and the influence it can have on history. Do thoughts exist? Do thoughts have matter? This is a question that occupies the minds of philosophers far more profound than me. Thoughts must have some kind of matter, runs the argument, because it takes energy to have them. If we do a lot of thinking, we get tired. The brain uses at least 20% of the body's energy, even though it makes up 2% of the body's mass. Perhaps a thought is just a little parcel of energy. But, I ask again, what happens to thoughts after we have them if we don't record or articulate them in some way? Are they just gone? Or is there some kind of ethereal depository where all thoughts get stored, some kind of collective human consciousness warehouse? I'm one of these people that thinks most invention is discovery. Just as Alexander Fleming didn't invent penicillin, he discovered it, so did, say, Thomas Edison and many others not so much invent the light bulb as discover the technology that makes light bulbs work. Did man invent the wheel or did he discover it? My friend Low Status Opinions, who as well as his brilliant substack writes jokes for famous comedians, says the act of writing a joke is not invention, rather it is pulling back the sand to see what's there. The veteran commodities speculator Peter Brand says something similar. A trade is a process of discovery. You place numerous trades, you manage your risk and you discover which work. Today, with digital technology, our lives are taken out of the material world and into cyberspace. Of course, there are huge data centres that make it all function, but in a way, this ethereal digital world of the internet, with all its social media, better represents our thoughts and the preservation of them than the paper and material world that preceded it. So is there some depository or warehouse of thoughts that we have not yet invented or discovered yet? The idea that we only use 10% of our brain's capacity has been largely dismissed, but we definitely have latent brain power that we don't use. Taking psychedelic drugs perhaps unleashes latent potential. <clears throat> there is acquired savant syndrome where you can acquire often extraordinary scholarly capacity after a traumatic head injury. The most famous example of this is Jason Plagett, who was mugged and badly beaten up then woke up to find he now had an ability to understand complex maths and physics that didn't previously exist. 
he developed an astonishing ability to draw complex geometric shapes he had no previous understanding of. So, there is for sure some untapped potential in our minds. I wish I knew how to tap into it without risking long-term damage. There are a gazillion ideas I have had for stories, shows, businesses, products that I would love to realise in some way. Then again, genius is 99% perspiration. Having the idea is the easy bit. But a Scottish audio producer friend had this to say when I bemoaned how ideas disappear. Nature wastes nothing, he said, with the power only a Scottish accent with its articulated consonants can have. It's why they make such good football managers. Nature wastes absolutely nothing. Everything gets used in some way. He's right. Nature is not like governments or corporations which can be incredibly wasteful. Nothing in nature gets thrown away. Everything gets used. It's why I'm so pro-free markets and so anti-regulation in government. The free market is the closest uh, economic rendition, rendition of the natural world that we have. Yes, nature wastes nothing. The process of thinking and having ideas, even if those ideas appear to disappear if we do not record or act on them, there is a purpose to it, even if we have not yet discovered what it is. And I guess, if there's a moral to today's piece, it's this. Don't keep your thoughts to yourself. Uh, thank you very much for listening. If you've not seen my lecture with funny bits about gold, we've got two more dates in London lined up, uh, February the 14th and 15th. Please come, it's a great show, it's great fun. And I'm taking my musical comedy show, An Evening of Curious Songs, on a mini tour in the spring with dates in London, Somerset, Hampshire, Surrey and Essex. This is a really funny show. Really fun show, I should say, and there's a link to all the dates and places uh, in the article. But we're doing London, Crazy Cox, Wednesday, March the 20th, Borden in Hampshire, Saturday, March the 23rd, Guildford in Surrey, Friday, April the 5th, Bath, Somerset, Saturday, April the 6th, and Southend in Essex on Sunday, the April the 14th. So thank you very much. And of course, if you're buying gold to protect yourself uh, in these extraordinary times, um, there is a link to the Pure Gold Company, which is the bullion dealer I use and recommend. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye.